And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Our time in the Old Testament book of Joel carries on this morning with a look at Joel chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. A question is raised. What level of destruction would it take to wake you out of your spiritual sleep? And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. I picture the quick and the complete working of these insects like how they plow snow on Canada's three-lane highways. The first plow works nearest to the center median guardrail and it rolls the snow off to its right. And then following right behind the first plow, the second snow plow picks up the first snow plow's snow and then the fresh snow that's in its path and rolls all of that snow over to its right. And then following right behind the second plow, the third snow plow picks up the second snow plow's snow and the fresh snow that's in the front of its path, and then it rolls all of that snow off to its right. And then the fourth plow, following close behind the third plow, picks up the third plow's snow and all the fresh snow that's in the, its path, and then the fourth plow rolls all of that snow off to its right into the shoulder. And all of this plowing happens almost at full highway speed. Similarly, billions of locusts made very short order of anything edible in Israel's crop fields. And they did it at such a fast pace. Verse 4. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Devastation. In verse 5, the wine abusers, the addicted to alcohol, were told to weep and to wail because after the locust hit, there were no more grapes on the vines which they were used to making into wine. Verse 5. Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. Joel was calling his whole nation to a national time of mourning for the crops that were eaten, but more specifically, the prophet was calling his whole nation to a national time of mourning for the national sins that had brought God's severe judgment down on Israel. In verses 6 to 7, God is speaking in the first person as he moves Joel to write down Scripture. Notice how God speaks in the first person in verses 6 and 7. For the nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. The Lord wanted to be very clear. The land within which the Jews lived was really his land, not their land. The Lord also wanted to be clear that the grapevines and the fig trees were actually his vines and his fig trees. They were not owned by the Jews who tended to them. Which brings me to this question of application for the man in the pulpit and for you, my friends, in the pew. Who do you think really owns your house? 
Who do you really think owns your truck? Who do you really think owns your investments? And a second applicational question for the man in the pulpit and you in the pew. Exactly what level of destruction would it take to wake you out of your spiritual slumber? A flood? A fire? A repossession? A stock market crash? A foreclosure? The death of one of your kids? What level of destruction would it take to wake you out of your spiritual sleep? God used Joel's prophetic writing to get 9th century B.C. Israel's attention, and God means to use the very same prophetic truth all these centuries later to get our attention. Now, verse 7 states that the fig trees were actually splintered by the locusts. Think about that. The fig trees were splintered by the locusts. Verse 7 reports that the branches of those splintered trees were white, due to the total stripping of the bark off. Verse 7, It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Friends, this was no partial or superficial insect infestation. These crops and these trees we're going to take a long time to bounce back if they ever bounced back. Now, I'm told by arborists that fig trees have broad leaves, which means that fig trees have trunks and branches that have hard wood as opposed to soft wood. Can you imagine how little teeny locusts, how hard they would have hit Say another kind of hardwood tree that we're more familiar with, say an oak tree, for that tree to be splintered and totally stripped of its bark. This was no casual and small and insignificant locust invasion. And God had his prophet Joel compare the appropriate lament of the nation over the crop failure to the lament of an unmarried, engaged-to-be-married woman when she learns that her fiancé suddenly dies. That's how serious a problem, their spiritual problem was, their spiritual problem that had turned into an agricultural problem, that had turned into an economic problem. Their problem was so serious and so, such a level that God said, you lament over this problem like an engaged woman to be married would lament over her fiancé suddenly dying before they got married. Verse 8, wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. On we go to verse 9. Verse 9 reads, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord. The grain offerings in Israel's economy and Israel's law, the grain offerings and the drink offerings were presented to the Lord every morning and every evening by the priests. Exodus 29, 38 to 42 tells us about these. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for the drink offering with one lamb. 
The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. God's judgment was designed to wake up his people so they could smell the coffee of their sin, to see that they could not present these offerings to the Lord anymore because of the devastation the locusts had left in their land. You see, the raw materials that they once took for granted to make these grain and these drink offerings were no longer available. Just like in war times, there were rationing of rubber and metal and food here as the war was fought overseas because the materials that normally were readily available, gasoline, were no longer readily available. So there was rationing of all these commodities so that the boys overseas could fight the war and win against Hitler. God is judging this nation historically, taking away the raw materials, the ingredients of commonplace, everyday offerings that they were used to offering to God to celebrate his fellowship and his presence with them. They couldn't make grain offerings. They couldn't make drink offerings after the locusts hit because what they needed to make those offerings out of was not available. And there was no prospect of it growing back anytime soon. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to start a series talking about discipleship and talking about imitating. And as we all know, growing up, we have all played the game where maybe you have a younger brother or sister or you yourself have imitated somebody in your family by copying everything they say. Uh, The game is called Copycat. But today we want to talk about how we should all be imitating someone, and that someone is God himself. As we consider imitating God, we need to understand exactly that this is not just something that we say, but this is what Scripture says, as in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Like I said, as we consider that game of copycat, we do whatever the other person does. So the question is, how do we imitate God? What does God look like? What does God do? And verse 2 is very clear, and it tells us this, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we need to understand and make sure that, and we consider talking about imitating God, that we need to be walking in love. We need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to be Christ-like. We need to show that as we show the love of Christ through the way we act, the things that we say, Um, how we come alongside of people. And in reality, as a Christian, this is not just something that is an option, but this is something that we should be doing. We should be imitators of God. And I think too many times, even in our churches today, we see and we say that we're following God, but we're not imitating Him. We're not showing Him to others. You see, if we imitate those that influence us, then we look more and more like them. If God is our primary influence, then we grow to look more and more like Him. As we know, we're not talking about a physical being, but we're talking about traits of God as God is love. God loves people and God is there and he he wants to be seen in our lives. But I think too many times we need to consider as Christians that we are an example. We are an example either bringing people to Christ or we're either an example pushing people away from Christ. 
Because if we say that we are Christ follower, we are imitating God, then that should look like God, should look like him. We should become like him. We should, um, again, look for opportunities to serve one another, not just looking out for ourselves. When we consider what God has done, when he sent his only son to die for us, this is the attribute of God to show how much he loves us, how kind he is to us. You know, as a, as a young person listening to this, you know, this means that when we're in our school, we need to be an imitator of God. We need to show Christ as we, when that person falls down and everyone else is laughing, we should be the one to be there to help them and not laugh and, and to pick them back up. Or we see an opportunity when people are gossiping and slandering and talking bad about people. We ought to bring Christ in, into that and trust to be an example and say, you know what, this is wrong what we're doing. We're not supposed to do this. You see, I think too many times, again, as, as you consider um, as a young person in your schools, I think sometimes we try to put God on a shelf in school and we want to do our own thing. You see, God is not a God that we put on a shelf. God is a God that we want to portray in everything that we do. One of the new Christmas traditions is people have this elf on the shelf, and I think that's what we kind of do with God. We put him on a shelf. We want to put him on there until we come to church on Sunday, and we want to show Christ. But that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to show him, to become like him, and to show others the, the attributes of Christ and, and how we are living our lives. And I think that as we consider that, we can look no further than what John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And it says that basically that people will know that we are Christians by our love. They will know that we know Christ because we love him. And this is what it says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, many people will say, well, what does a Christian look like? How, what am I supposed to look like? Well, you're supposed to look like God, but you're also supposed to look as a person that love. People see love. You know, we used to sing a song growing up in Sunday school. Love is something that you give it away. You don't keep it to yourself, but you are to give it to others. Show it to others and what we do. So we look at John 13, 34, and 35, and if we imitate him, love will be the top of the list of characteristics that we should exhibit. This was Paul's point as well in Ephesians 2. If we imitate God, we will walk in love just as Jesus walked in love. As we imitate God, we should grow in love, and others should be able to see the demonstrated in our lives. Remember, love can be an emotion or a feeling, but in order for other people to see it in our lives, we must demonstrate it. And I think too many times as Christians, we need to recognize that we may be the only Bible or the only Christ that someone sees by the way that we love one another. You see, too many times in our churches, we get so caught up in just, you know, fighting and, and bickering and gossiping and slandering that we're not showing the love of Christ. This is what's turning people away from the church and the gospel because we as Christians are not portraying it the way that we should. But also, you may be listening to this broadcast and you may say, you know what? I've been in church all, for all these many years. This doesn't give us an excuse not to be a part of a church because the, we need to understand that church is only the building that people think it is. But the church is not the building. The church is the people that are in the building. You see, whether we have buildings or not, the church shows the love of Christ. The church is one that we should be showing Christ and, and helping people and being there for people. But I think in our minds, in our, in, in our culture, we have made church about a building. 
But we need to understand that as we go about our daily lives, we are the church. We are a representation of Christ. We are to imitate Christ. We are to show him to others. And we show that through our love. We sh- and people will know us by our love. So I want to ask you this question as, as we close, as, as we think about this. What are people seeing in your life? Are they seeing Christ? Are they seeing a person of love? Are they seeing a person that wants to do all that they can to bring honor and glory to Christ? Or are they just looking at a, another person that basically, as we consider what the world has to offer, they could describe us this way, a liar, a cheater, lustful, unfaithful, etc. We need to understand that this is not the attributes of Christ. This is not how we imitate Christ. We are to bring love. They will know you by your love. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, that you would come to know Him and place your faith and trust in Him. But I also want to challenge you as a believer, and even myself, that we need to recognize that even on the streets, wherever we are, especially as, as an adult, if, if someone cuts us off in traffic, we are still to try to betray Christ. In school, as, the, as somebody does something to us that, that gets us upset, we're not to retaliate, but we are to show the love of Christ to them. Because this is how people will know that we are different. This is how they will know that you are my disciple by the way you love. In closing, I just want to ask you this question. What are you doing with your relationship with Christ? Are you bringing people towards Christ? Or are you pushing them away from Christ? This is Pastor Nicholas, and this has been another edition of You Talk. And now, today's personal God story. I'm pleased this morning to have Judy Penn Robinson in the radio studio. How are you, Judy? I am wonderful, thank you. (laughs) Good. Uh, Judy has a personal story of how Jesus became her Lord and Savior. And why, why don't we start there? Well, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was about um, 13 years old. I went to Word of Life Camp, Stone Lake, New York, and um, it was Word of Life Camp. And I went forward one evening and then received the Lord as my Savior. Wonderful. I attended Word of Life Bible Institute in Stone Lake, New York, so I have a sense of what that might have looked like. And they certainly uh, share Christ in an enthusiastic way, don't they? They certainly do. Yes. And then, Judy, as your years have unfolded since that special time in your life, it it hasn't always been easy for you with your health, has it? No, it hasn't. Yes. Maybe you could share a bit about that with our listeners. Sure. Well, in 2003, I got married. And, you know, that's an exciting time of your life, of course. And um, we were, a couple of years into the marriage, we decided we'll we'll start a family. And um, on the process of that happening... Uh, we discovered that I had some illness, which I didn't know at the time. Yes. Because we thought we were expecting the baby. Mm-hmm. And um, went to the doctor and found out that I had stage four cancer. Mm. And it was a very devastating time for us. It was a difficult time. But we yeah. made it through. Yes. And so when you first got that diagnosis, um, was it easy to pray or was it hard to pray? Very difficult, mm-hmm. very difficult. Because the thing was, you didn't want, you wasn't wasn't thinking about God or thinking about what He has in mind for you. You're just thinking about what the diagnosis was. You know, your doctor gives you a diagnosis, and you automatically start thinking of death. What's going to happen next? Yes. Um. So your mind wasn't really on praying. Uh. It wasn't until about maybe a couple of weeks later that I realized that wait a minute. I don't have to worry about these kinds of things. I don't have to stress myself over this. 
I can give everything to the Lord and let him lead me in the, in the right direction. Yeah, that's a real honest answer. I think that when we face devastating or huge difficulties, that it isn't always the first thing we do is to pray. No, but it isn't. in God's mercy, he starts working on our behalf even when we haven't prayed. But then the Spirit of God reminds us to pray and God's people remind us to pray. So um, were you able to receive some treatment for that illness? Yes, um, I went through chemotherapy. Um, I went through uh, actually two sessions of chemotherapy and uh, it was a very difficult time. It was extremely difficult, uh, physically, mentally, and uh, it just was just a, a rough time. It was a very rough time. Yes. And I had complications also along with that. So yes. Did the, the Church of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, play a positive role in that difficult time? Yes, they did. I had lots of people that uh, called, came to visit, um, sometimes I came to visit, I was out of it and I didn't know what was going on, but they were there. Um, I had people come and bring food. People say, I'm praying for you. Just little notes of encouragement, a little card here, a little call here. Um, it was just overwhelming, to be honest with you. It was really overwhelming. That's great. Overwhelming in a positive way. In a positive way, yes. Um, if someone was listening this morning, Judy, and they may know a friend or a family member who is contending with a serious diagnosis, what what would you suggest are some of the best things that those caring people could do for a sick person? For someone who's sick, and especially if, if you're dealing with um, a sickness like cancer, mm -hmm. uh, the, the patient is basically very, normally very ill. Mm -hmm. And so visiting for long hours is kind of hard because you, you have a hard time keeping up. But if they can just come by just for short, a short little chat, just uh, pray with them, bring some food for the family to eat, or even offer to do little things like cleaning the house, or like, can we wash your clothes for you? Um, or just a, a word of encouragement, a scripture verse that would be uplifting, uh, time or, or a song, come and sing a song. I, I just love songs during that time. It was just soothing for the soul. That's, that's really yeah. very practical. And... Uh, maybe we could remember that none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. That's right. And uh, so where are things at for you now? Well, my cancer cells are starting to grow back again. Um, so I'm back into treatments again, back into chemotherapy. Um, it's, some days are good and some days are not. But I, a lot of people tell me when, when they look at me, they'll say, well, you don't look sick or you look like you're happy. You look like you're healthy. And I am to a certain extent, but there are certain things I cannot do anymore, certain things I, I, I'm told not to do, certain things I can't lift or move or, you know, certain things that just cause problems for me physically. And I get tired very, very easily. So that's a, a side effect of, of um, the chemotherapy also. Yes. Now, it sounds like you've been uh, very open with your medical situation to people that are around you, and I think that's commendable. Um, not every person with a serious medical problem feels that way. No. So would it be right to say that when you're around a person that you notice uh, whatever, they're, they're not doing what they used to do, or maybe they're not as buoyant as they used to be, that we ought to be careful not to prejudge what that means. Yes, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, um, I know you have a committed and a godly husband. Yes. Uh, what part has he played in all of this? Oh, my gosh. He's been amazing. 
um, I can't think of not having him around during the times I was sick. He was there with every doctor visit. The doctors knew his name. The nurses knew who he was. Um, every visit I went to, every chemotherapy treatment I went to, he was there. He was my right hand. Oh, that's beautiful. I know he continues to be now in this yes. uh, second stage yes. of your battle. Yes. Well, it is so good of you to come in. I know that you're a busy teacher and uh, you've come in after school and we're airing it on a Sunday morning, but you've come after school. So thank you for that. And I would you're love, uh, yes, I would love to, uh, to pray for you and others that are facing serious illness who are listening to us this morning. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that although uh, the world has fallen into sin and because it has, there are physical diseases, that you can bring honor and glory to yourself in and through those diseases, in some cases healing in answer to prayer, and in other cases um, seeing through those who contend with the illness without having a physical healing this side of heaven. Lord, I pray for Judy's cancer. I pray that you would uh, do your good, perfect, and acceptable will in her body and in her life. I thank you that your joy, Lord Jesus, is still evident on her face and that she's pressing forward with the things that she wants to do, but also the things that she must do as a teacher and, and doing that in your strength. This morning, Lord, Judy and I particularly pray for the listener who is facing cancer or some other serious disease, that your peace could be theirs as they commit their way to you in prayer. For we are told in Philippians that we should pray about everything and worry about nothing, and that when we do, we will experience your inexplainable peace in exchange for our anxiety. So may that be Judy's portion, and may that be the portion of every listener this morning who is under uh, the care of a doctor for a serious disease. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful and beautiful name together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Thanks for coming in to talk. You're welcome. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary, located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.